I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So is my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. To crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. Who has spoken and has come to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and yet you have not forgiven. You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. All our enemies open their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have come upon us, devastation and destruction. My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. I have been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head. I said, I am lost. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. 
Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. What I'm about to say is for the millennials watching. There is this episode of Friends where Ross gets a new couch and he solicits the help of his friends Rachel and Chandler to help him get this couch up, to, up the stairs to his apartment. And he stands uh, at the front and he's working his way up and he's calling directions down at them as they're winding their way up the stairs and he's yelling, pivot, pivot, pivot. And I tell you that because we need to do the same thing that Ross Geller did. We need to pivot. That's precisely what the prophet Jeremiah does in the text you just heard read. He goes from verse 17, I have forgotten what happiness is. My endurance has perished. And then he goes on to say, so has my hope from the Lord but then he pivots, and verse 21, he says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. But how do we pivot from feeling no sense of happiness, having no endurance left, and feeling utterly hopeless to pivot to hope? How do we do that? A Jewish man named Viktor Frankl was put in a German concentration camp during World War II, and he was a psychiatrist, and he observed other inmates and their will to live. In his book, Man's Search for Meaning, he tells this story. He observed that newcomers to the camp who were overcome with grief died early on, but those who had some sort of hope to live for survived. One man had a dream that he would be released in a week. He was certain that it would happen. His morale was high all week, but then the day came and went, and then two days later, he died. The point is, hope matters. It changes how we view each day. It changes how we live. We often say to each other, hey, I hope that works out for you. Or, hey, can you come over to my place later? Oh, I, I hope so. And when we use it, we use hope in uncertain terms. Like, we mean it like maybe. But in the Bible, hope is certain because it's grounded in what God has already accomplished for us through Jesus so what Jeremiah is doing is rehearsing the truth he knows to be true about God and therefore, despite circumstances, he has hope. Now this doesn't mean that what we see, feel, and experience doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that they aren't ultimate. So Jeremiah says, he says, I have forgotten what happiness is. My endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Then he pivots to, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. What's fascinating about that is Jeremiah's circumstances haven't changed. 
Jerusalem is still a pile of smoldering ruins. The majority of the population have either been killed or dragged off into exile in Babylon. In Lamentations 4 and 5, everything's still bad, but despite all that, truth remains. And is what he calls to mind and therefore why he still has hope. So what is that hope for him? Well, I heard said about this text that hope springs from truth rehearsed. Hope springs from truth rehearsed. If you're going to write down one thing during this message, write down this. Hope springs from truth rehearsed. And I think that's exactly right. And I think it's an excellent summary of the chapter. So here's where we're going to go. We're going to look at the truth we are to rehearse. And then we're going to look at how to rehearse the truth. The truth we are to rehearse and how to rehearse the truth. Verse 22 says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. This is what he says right after he pivots and says, therefore I have hope. Well, what is the hope? He says in verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So the first thing we see about the truth we are to rehearse is that God's mercies are new every morning. Do you know why we have hope no matter what? Because the divine mercy of God is never exhausted. The steadfast covenant love of the Lord never ceases. And it's based not on how awesome we are or not awesome we are, but it's based on the character of God. God's mercies are new every morning because that's who he is. He is abounding in steadfast love. The ultimate hope of God's people is not our ability to keep his commands, but in God's ability to be God. The truth we are to rehearse is this. God's mercies are new every morning. Are circumstances getting you down? Are are situations in your life lingering, unresolved, or even plaguing you right now? The text is telling you that there's a hope available that is over and above those circumstances. Remember, a few weeks ago, if you've been tracking with this series, we gave out lament cards and invited you to write down your own lament. And We had like a couple hundred from across our campuses submitted, and I I read then a couple weeks ago uh, a handful of them for us. Listen, even if those circumstances in your life were to never change, the reality is that you can rehearse the truths that you know, and therefore you can have hope. Because hope comes from what you know to be true despite the circumstances around you, despite what they tell you. We're called to interpret the pain, the difficulty, all of it through the lens of God's character and ultimate mercy because hope springs from truth rehearsed. When you woke up today, you know what was awaiting you? New morning mercies. When you wake up tomorrow morning, you know what will be awaiting you? New morning mercies to see you through, to see you all the way through. 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases because it's who he is. Second, verse 25 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. So a second truth that seemed to anchor Jeremiah's heart in a time of difficulty was this. Waiting isn't a waste. Now we usually see waiting for anything as a complete waste of time because we're used to instant everything. You remember back in the day, you'd be hanging out with your friends and and you'd be in conversation and then you'd wonder, hey, who won the Stanley Cup 10 years ago? Or who was the actress in that movie? Or you're trying to remember all the prime ministers of Canada and you cannot figure out who the third prime minister of Canada was. And you would spend with your friends the rest of the evening collectively wondering. Now someone Googles it and tells you within 30 seconds. Learning to wait is such an important thing to learn as it relates to truth. The text literally says, good is the Lord to those who wait for him. And do you know why waiting is hard for us? It's hard for us because it feels unproductive and we like to be productive. Waiting is hard for us because we're not doing anything in the waiting, but that's the point. Our faith isn't built on what we do, but what God does and what God has done for us. Therefore, waiting is one of the great applications of the Christian faith. That doesn't mean it's easy, just that it means waiting isn't a waste. See, in the waiting, Jeremiah put his trust in God and placed his hope in him, acknowledging that he wasn't in control, but God is in control. Control. What an incredibly important thing to learn and that we can only really truly learn in the waiting. What might God have for us in this season of waiting we find ourselves in? Good is the Lord to those who wait on him. What might God want to teach you in this time of waiting? A third aspect of the truth we are to rehearse is this. Grief isn't forever. Verse 31 says, For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. A couple hard things about suffering is that we worry it will never end or that it's, it's purposeless. God tells us neither is true. Lament mourns our sufferings, but it also looks expectantly toward what is yet to come because grief isn't forever. All suffering has limits and has purpose. Something I mutter under my breath sometimes when life gets hard are the, the, the final words in the Bible. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And I mean it. Right? In the midst of difficulty, the sense that, Lord, just come and make everything right. And a day is coming when faith will be sight. We've been singing a song at church lately called, Is He Worthy? And there's a line in it that says, do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. And we have an assured hope that that day is coming. But that it's just not today. 
But here's the hope we have in Jesus. Grief isn't forever. A day is coming when suffering will cease, graves will be emptied, and death will be defeated. So what's the truth we are to rehearse? Well, God's mercies are new every morning. Waiting isn't a waste. Grief isn't forever. And overarchingly great is the faithfulness of our God. That's the what. That's the truth we are to rehearse. Now let's talk about the how. Yeah, but how? How are we to rehearse the truth? Here's the first one. Your Bible, Scripture, There will be times when you will tell yourself, God has forgotten about me, when the Bible says, no, he hasn't. You'll interpret things through a lens that says, this is a waste of time, when the Bible says, no, it isn't. You will come to a place at some point in your life and say, I've run out of God's mercy, and the Bible will tell you, no, you haven't. You will say to your soul, I don't see the point of this, and the Bible will tell you, there's a point. You might even think to yourself, God is mean, but the Bible will assure you, no, he isn't. He's good. See, know the Bible so you have an arsenal that you can use to help your heart and mind pivot when you tell yourselves things that are untrue or not the truest truths. We can do this through studying the Bible. We can do this through memorizing the Bible. We can do this through listening to sermons. When Ray Ortland Jr. was a young boy, his dad gave him a Bible with this written inside the front cover. Bud, nothing could be greater than to have a son who loves the Lord and walks with him. Your mother and I have found this book, our dearest treasure. We give it to you And doing so can give you nothing greater. Be a student of the Bible and your life will be full of blessing. We love you, Dad. Now what Ray Ortland Sr. was not saying was that if you read the Bible, if you know it, if you live by it, all will go well for you. You will have ease. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that if you live in the Bible, that you know it, that you treasure it, that you believe it, that no matter what comes, you will have blessing. You will experience blessing. See, anyone whose parents taught them the Bible or any parents that are teaching their children, maybe you're a kid listening right now and your parents teach you the Bible, those parents have given you a treasure Because there will be times when we disbelieve God, but then the truths we've heard from God's word in the past in a sermon or through scripture memory or a study of God's word will flash back into our minds and remind us of the truth. And we can pivot from what we see and feel to the ultimate hope we have in Jesus. The second way to rehearse the truth is through testimony. And stories matter so much. Our hearts have been hardwired to be stirred by stories. Hearing of God's faithfulness in the past towards others reminds us of who God is and what is ultimately true. I always say my favorite Sundays are baptism Sundays because we get to hear about how Jesus has transformed a life and then we see a visual picture of the gospel in baptism from death to life. 
testimonies of God's faithfulness, whether it be reflecting on God's faithfulness in the past in our own lives or hearing about God's faithfulness in the lives of others, it helps us pivot from hopelessness and grief to hope and assurance in Jesus. Third, singing. You've probably seen footage by now from Italy where someone starts playing music on a balcony and then from other balconies, other musicians join in. The same thing happened in 2010 when an earthquake hit Haiti and was absolutely devastating. So many people lost their lives. Buildings were destroyed. Even the nation's power grid was destroyed and everything went dark. But do you know what the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere, torn with grief and fear, And with the power out, you know what they did? They sang. All over the hills of Haiti, those first terrible nights under the starlit sky, the voices of the people of Haiti rose up in grief and lament, in prayer and hope. When you don't have technology, you still have song. And for Italy, though they have technology, They are isolated, and yet they still have song, and singing brings people together. And when we sing to God, songs help us rehearse the truth we know to be true, and therefore we have hope. Pastor Tyson has said a number of times, as God's redeemed people, we are to be a people who never stop singing. The famous hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, is based on Lamentations 3. Verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And when Jeremiah says, great is your faithfulness, your mercies are new every morning, he's saying that not when the sun is coming up on Israel, but when everything has been leveled. Like I said, Lamentations 4 and 5 aren't better. They don't resolve. The sun hasn't come up, and yet he's still saying, great is your faithfulness, God. Can you sing that song no matter what you're going through? Jeremiah wants to show you that you can That is how great our hope is in Jesus. He came into the world suffering. God came to us, Jesus came, and he experienced unjust suffering. Let me frame it this way. Jesus took the pandemic of sin upon himself on the cross in order to be the vaccine our souls need. And Jesus rose and ascended into heaven to show us the future he has in store for us. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus secured abundant, eternal life for us. And therefore, we can have hope no matter what. Some of the lyrics of Great is Thy Faithfulness go like this. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see and all I have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. 
Let me pray for us, and then let's sing that together. Jesus, I thank you that our hope is securely found in you. When circumstances surround us that are genuinely hard, Lord, you speak. Your truth remains. You hold us secure in your promises. It's who you are. And God, I think of this moment in a story I just heard um, from AIA, and uh, there was a women's sports team that was about to play in the national championship or waiting to hear if uh, the championship would be canceled. And so uh, a Christian athlete on the team gathered the whole team in her room the night they were awaiting to hear if the championship would be canceled. And she said to them, no matter what happens with this tournament or in the world right now, I just want you all to know Jesus died for me and he rose for me and I can put my trust in him. I can put my hope in him and I can be secure no matter what. And she said, I want you to know that too. Do you know that? And she looked around the room and she saw heads nodding of yes by players, athletes, friends that she never could have conceived of would be tracking with God at all. And the national championship was canceled. They're not playing it right now, but you know what they're doing instead? She started a virtual Bible study and she's meeting with the team online and teaching them the Bible and showing them Jesus. Lord, I just pray in the midst of a level of hopelessness that exists that you would be our hope and that we would shine your hope to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.